Hi, before we start today's episode, there's a few things I wanted to say. This is being recorded on the week of June 8th, when the biggest global civil rights movement in history is taking place, when everyone is recognizing that Black people need our support and our protection. J.K. Rowling chose to use her platform to spread hate and misinformation about an extremely vulnerable and marginalized group of people. Trans Black women especially have an average age of 30 because of murder and suicide. One third experience harassment from police. 34% live in extreme poverty. And even in a pandemic, they continue to be murdered. And instead, J.K. Rowling chose to paint trans people as the murderers and as the rapists. What she's doing, what she did, is hateful. You don't get to have an opinion regarding people's humanity. I'm sorry that she keeps disappointing us, but it's come to a point where we can't deny it. Like Maya Angelou said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Trans women are real women. Trans men are real men. Please don't financially support JKR. We already own the books and these characters are ours and not hers. Support the artists that have created beautiful works supporting trans people after her actions, but don't buy merchandise from her. I don't want to say to divorce the author from the books because she did write them and she wrote some problematic things in them that I will continue to discuss and call out. But also these characters are ours and I choose to see them as real people because that's how I've always read them. And if you choose to see Hermione as a black girl, Tonks as a trans woman, Lupin as a gay man, you're completely right. She doesn't get to tell us that we're wrong because these books are ours. This episode is dedicated to Confuzzled and Amanda, who sent me the loveliest message last week and it made my entire existence. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Potter Study, an empath's guide to witchcraft and wizardry. I'm your host, Zara, and today I have Nathan with me. Hi, Nathan. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's such a, a beautiful, sunny day, but um, you can't really enjoy it with anybody else, so <laughs> just <laughs> at home, slowly tanning. Well, we've already done the introduction questions with you, but I have yep. some additional questions I'm going to ask to get to know you even more. Which Deathly Hallow would you choose? Out of the three? Oh, I think I would choose the invisibility cloak. Okay. I would love the idea of having the this like really super powerful wand, but at the same time, what we kind of know about it, it just seems a bit of like an albatross around your neck, right? It's just yeah. people are just always going to come after you for it. And and then also, is it your skill or is it is it down to the wand? And I think that would drive me a bit insane thinking like, am I really good or is it all about the wand? Whereas I think with the, at least with the invisibility cloak, people... People won't know you've got it. People, you can be a bit more subtle about it. I think will mm. go under the radar. And I think it would come a lot more in, in like handy, actually, visibility. Like, I think so as well. Like you can sneak into 
you can speak on to flights for and go on holidays for free <laughs> you can find like empty hotel my head is just on holidays right now because we can't go on holidays but that's exactly like that's immediately where i went or just like you could go on a free holiday yeah you could yeah actually i just i was also thinking of like i just like to hit like sneak into sort of meetings and things <laughs> that you <laughs> so i mean you could just like walk into like downing street or something yeah or walk into the palace and things like that as well i think you'd be able to just see just such a really interesting things but yeah okay. i think the invisibility cloak for sure I think that's a sensible one to pick. What wizarding career would you pursue? Oh, good question. I think I would, I think there's part of me that loves the idea. I think that everyone would love the idea of being an oral because there's like this sort of like glamour about it. Um, I don't think I would like to, I wouldn't like to be a, I wouldn't like to be a teacher. Um, I think that'd be a bit sort of parochial, like being in like Hogwarts and stuff. Um, it, It seems as well, it seems like there's like very, very few like career avenues yeah Actually, there's like four like in the world yeah, yeah. like <laughs> you, you can... either you either end up what teacher you work for the government or you work in some sort of like service industry yep that's it yep or the bank yeah so i guess um unless it was unless it's perhaps something to be cool like a bit like is it charlie weasley who gets to like travel and learn about dragons and shit yep. like that like yep. i think i think something along those lines where you get to like travel and mm-hmm. search and investigate cool stuff i think I'd yeah like something like that live in Romania and raise dragons. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool, actually. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Whose death affected you the most? The first one that comes to mind, I would say is Dobby. Yeah. Me too. Just because, just because he was just like quite, was quite slow, innocent and pure and was just really, it was a very sort of like tragic death that mm-hmm. just felt, I don't want to say it felt like gratuitous in a way, because I, I felt like it was like, it was, it was kind of needed for the story in a way but at the same time it came to a point where you're like oh wow I just wasn't expecting mm-hmm. just weren't expecting that it just wasn't coming at a time I think when you were expecting certain people to die um and that just sort of like quite happened that was quite sad weirdly kind of like Hedwig as well I think it was the last innocence with Hedwig wasn't that's it? exactly it yeah. yeah it's a childhood thing mm. um it's I think it's also you know when you remember like if you ever had a pet growing up and when that when you grew up with a pet and then that dies and then that's kind of like that really affects you because it's like you kind of grew up with something that was a sort of semi-sibling or something that you just mm-hmm. you lose and you lose a connection to your childhood so I think that's kind of yeah you know what's that. funny never... about that question is um if you google my name there is an actual video from Pottermore that I'm in that talks oh. about <laughs> um <laughs> what deaths affected you the most and it was when I went Mm. to a Pottermore they had like a wizarding world like book club thing and they were talking about book three and someone gave me an invite and I took a friend and it was amazing it was like free drinks it was free like burgers and sliders and stuff and it was in the Twitter offices and then they took us into individual rooms and then they asked us like a bunch of like speed fire questions. And that was one of the mm-hmm. questions they'd asked us is who's that's affected uh. the most. And you could see me with like really frizzy hair because it was very last minute that I got tickets to this thing. It was really frizzy hair, like makeup that's melting off. And I'm just like, yeah, serious black, I think. Like, <laughs> I think that's what I said. <laughs> oh, that sounds super fun. I think also the other death, that, like, I guess it comes on to who we're talking about is kind of affected me in a sort of semi-positive way was Bellatrixes because I think it was such like a mm. such like a little neat moment in the story yeah. like I wasn't sad about it but it just did it did make you then go you have sort of like rooted for Molly Weasley and mm-hmm. it was like a bit that I think I didn't have that sort of emotion or reaction to a lot of other people's deaths 
All right. Last question. This is a fun one. I'm going to keep it PG. If you could snog anyone in Harry's year, who would it be? Ooh. I feel like this says a lot about you as a person, who you choose. I think kind of Dean, to- Dean Thomas. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, yeah, there's something like in the films, obviously he's like cute and handsome and he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a very handsome man. Um, but there's something about him in the books as well that just seems like a nice everyday kind mm-hmm. of guy. He's um, uncomplicated, but, unlike everyone yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just trying to, he's just trying to like just get on with his day without being interrupted by sort of like any Harry drama and stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's just doesn't, it's just, he's just a nice guy that's just even friends with Harry and stuff. And it's just, he just seems a cool everyday guy. Yeah. But he's probably fancy in school. Yeah, for sure. I like that answer. I like Dean. Mm. And maybe probably like Charlie, Charlie Weasley because about the dragons. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was going to go with Ginny, I think. That's who I think I would fancy. But I like a yeah. cocky jock. <laughs> and that's yeah. Ginny. Or Oliver yeah. Wood. Yes. Yeah. He, yeah, he, I, I get that as well. I get Oliver. Um, I kind of get the idea of Cedric Diggory, but he just feels a bit like obvious choice you know, yeah. like oh, really like i just i knew people here in my school i didn't even go to a very particularly good school but mm-hmm. even then it just didn't feel like it's someone that you would just kind of fancy just because everyone was into him and then i i kind of like someone who's just like who you could just be friends with and get on with yeah so um, not a lot of pressure in dating them i feel like there'd be a lot of pressure in dating cedric diggory i mean look at chell yeah yeah i also quite like the idea of the weasley twins like not, not so much in the film but like the idea that they're just sort of funny, they just couldn't give a crap. Like yeah. they've they've just got personality, they don't care, you know. And I think they'd probably be a bit annoying, but they probably could turn into one of them could obviously now turn into <laughs> like a really like decent and decent yeah. guy who's just fun and good to be around. Yeah. All right. So we're talking about Bellatrix Lestrange today, who yeah. is everyone's favorite well, she's a funny one. And it's going to be really interesting talking about her because she's one of the only female Death Eaters. The only other one is Electo Caro, who goes on to teach. But I think she is one of the only female Death Eaters. But let's start off with if Bellatrix was a real person, how would you describe her to someone who's never met her? I think I would say she's quite obsessive. Mm. She's sort of very fiercely Fiercely loyal and stubborn, very narrow-minded. I don't think she's capable of of love as we would feel or interpret it. It's this sort of um, it's like love without emotional feeling. It's like this weird yeah. sort of hero worship, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because even if I guess she she does have some sort of affection for her sister, maybe her nephew. But it, it sort of it doesn't really extend to any genuine sort of emotional connection in a way. Mm. I'd say she can be quite. She's obviously very sadistic. She clearly must have some sort of extreme mental health issue. Whether it's like sort of some sort of because she just clearly gets pleasure from or enjoyment from like pain and suffering of others. Yeah. Um, and that you know she's almost like a classic definition of I don't know if it's a psychopath or sociopath or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever but but she but she's clearly very like fearsome she's someone who obviously has a lot of prodigious skill and very powerful um i'd say the typical like pure blood in inverted commas qualities <laughs> of being like haughty and distant and overly proud and very sure of herself and her standing like 
yeah. to me of like a privilege, right? You know what's um, interesting when you were talking, like I feel like a lot of those qualities also apply to Sirius Black, where he is also yeah. quite obsessive. He's also fiercely loyal and stubborn. Mm-hmm. And he's also in a lot of ways quite narrow-minded, yeah. but they're on different sides of the battle. But mm-hmm. I think it is like a family <laughs> trait that runs through maybe the Blacks. Yes. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's a trait that perhaps is shared by a lot of sort of like that sort of class of society that exists in, in the UK generally. That mm-hmm. sort of, you know, the comparison is supposed to be like the landed gentry or the uh, aristocracy and the fact that it's it's very it's very like sure of, of themselves and their standing in the world and sort of overinflation of their ego and their position and the fact that they are the ones that have been chosen and destined to be in power or have anything. And she's very much the epitome of that. Um, and she's someone that is clearly the sort of archetypal evil witch. Mm. Um, but And that has, you know, a huge amount of power and skill and is quite, terrifying but uh, there's you know there's 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 someone this the thing that you can think of like was there is it something that's always been there it's like the nature versus nurture thing it's like is it always is it something that's inherent in her or is there a pivotal moment or point in her life where she went down a path that would that she couldn't turn back from and, it, and she turned into this or is there something yeah it's really you know, interesting because like with Beltrick because she is so sadistic because there is like definitely psychopathic tendency with her it's hard not to compare her to like serial killers that we like, mm-hmm. or um, people who are that sadistic, that psychopathic. And like Death Eaters, the majority of them are white men, <laughs> but there mm-hmm. are also some white women that fall into that category as well. Mm-hmm. But you can't really name a lot of like huge serial killers that are women, but the ones that you think of uh, have the same kind of nurture problems that the male ones did which is difficult relationship with their parents a lot of like attachment theory stuff of if you were raised without a lot of love and affection then you don't see that as necessary in your relationships as an adult and then also like what do you get out of killing those people and we don't really see Bellatrix actually kill a lot of people. We know she kills Sirius but she didn't really mean to kill Sirius. She didn't evade Kedavra him which is interesting. Um, she tortured Neville par- Neville's parents, but she didn't kill them. And then who else did she, like, kill that we know of? Yeah, that's true. And especially because I think, is it Dumbledore who said something? Like, she likes to play with her food? Yeah. So it's like, she she never, like, the thing is, like, she gets, she feels, she always goes more to sort of torturing Mm-hmm. Uh, than anything else and she gets the sort of pleasure from that sort of torture I never know because the thing is although you've had although sort of Voldemort has like killed killed people it kind of feels like there is he's doing so to to achieve a goal like a yeah. terrible goal I'm not saying it's okay but like he's doing something because he's like this person's in my way or I need to do this to achieve this thing mm-hmm. where she feels like she's she's doing it she's doing what she does from from pleasure and then she enjoys like holding her wielding her power over others and and then to please him and you know she obviously shares his ethos but it never at least in the books it's like it never felt that she was doing so because she was so wild and uncontrolled um that it was she was just doing it because she just had to do it it was a Mm -hmm. compulsion rather than a um rather than trying to achieve a goal yeah 
Yeah. Well, I always compare her in my head to there's a famous woman who tortured prisoners in Auschwitz. Her name is Irma Grease, and she was known as yeah. the hyena of Auschwitz. And she also kind of played with her food. Mm. She was known for really horribly mutilating and um, torturing people, mostly women. In the same way, I think that Bellatrix, I would say, I don't know, like, I, 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 I wonder if she does get more pleasure out of torturing women. Like, I mean, we see her torture Hermione, but we don't know what it was like with Frank and Alice Longbottom. We know she wasn't the only yeah. one with that Frank and Alice Longbottom. There were two other people there, but we don't know what role she plays in it. But it's hard not to see her as kind of the forefront and the one who's like yeah. taking command of that. But I think, yeah, I, I compare her in my head a lot to Irma Grease. Yeah, I think I also see sort of comparisons with um, like the Moors murders. Yeah. Um, so she's very sort of like a Myra Hindley mm-hmm. uh, character, this sort of like odd glamour. Mm-hmm. Um, this awful. I think they're she even described as having like a dark glamour about her in the book, and the fact that you know she's you know she's a very willing participant in it, but she's still like enthralled to this to this man, this powerful man who's doing these awful things. So I think there's you know there's a lot of precedent as well. You know at least yeah. in the UK, but obviously elsewhere, but of, of these sort of women who have this latent evil in them, mm-hmm. um, and then when they find the the right man, for want of a better word, the wrong man. It, it provides an outlet for them to be able to do these terrible, yeah. terrible things. Yeah. But the thing is, as well, is because she's a woman and she's one of the few women, I wonder if we see her as much more evil than the other Death Eaters because she's a woman in the same way that if a woman yeah. commits a crime, she's more likely to get a higher death sentence. And if a man commits the same crime, we see that in UK law all the time. Is it because she's a woman that we are what that we think? Oh my God, she's horrific because we don't want to conceive that a woman could do all these horrible things. That's yeah, that's a that's a very fair point, and I think as well because it's part of the fact that when when she, the way she's written, like there's not a huge amount on her in the books, but she she feels like she casts a very long shadow across all of them. Yeah, um, because of her reputation, and she's not as you know. You don't hear a lot of like from the other Death Eaters, but you do. You do hear like some terrible things that they do, and 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 you're right. I think you have this sort of expectation of she's a woman, therefore she she that's the type of thing she shouldn't be doing, mm-hmm. know, or she can't do because she's a woman. Whereas when you think, I guess, like even though you know, say like Lucius Malfoy sort of redeems, him, you know, if you want to say he redeemed himself mm-hmm. in a way. Um, but perhaps participated in a lot more terrible things. Uh, maybe didn't kill anybody, as far as we're aware, but was consistently yeah. an evil and malevolent force, doing actively trying to do a lot of things, mm-hmm. um, and yet give, yeah. you know, forgive him a little bit for, for a sort of act at the end. Yeah. But even like with the um, Longbottom murders, her husband was there, and he was an active participant. Mm. But she is seen as the main one who perpetrated that crime. Why is that when her husband was there, when Barty Craft Jr. was there as well? We never hear about her husband. We know he was a Death Eater as well. We know he tortured and killed people as well. But he's just kind of a background person. I think because obviously a lot of the books are about, I guess they were written when, you know, J.K. Rowling was was a young mother and she, you know, she had subsequent children over the years and a lot of them, a lot of the books it always centers about like mother's love and and, yeah. and it comes down to that even at the very end Bellatrix's death it's sort of like a mother's love and protection over over 
the power that Bellatrix has, even though obviously she's a mother herself. But it does feel that the sort of ultimate evil is that is when we're going up when women can't when women can't love, mm. and the ultimate good is when women can love throughout mm-hmm. it, which is a really interesting. Never really thought about it that way, so it's a really interesting point of view. Yeah. Well, when we were talking about Narcissa, um, we speculated about like the order of the sisters, but I actually looked it up this time and Bellatrix is the oldest sister out of the three of them. And then Andromeda and then Narcissa is the youngest one. What Mm. do you think she was like as a child? I think she, I mean, I find it quite hard because I'm an only child. So Mm. I, it's really difficult sometimes to try and like speculate and say, oh, do you think they're a middle child or this and that? And I guess you have this sort of idea of like the youngest child perhaps being, uh, the oldest child being trying to be really super responsible and the youngest child being a bit sort of like wild, whatever. I think she she reminds me almost a bit of, there was perhaps a little bit of like, a we need to talk about Kevin thing about mm. her when she was growing up. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that, the moment the parents didn't really the parents actually kind of enjoyed it because yeah. there was this sort of fervent sort of um passion and love for pure bloods and hate for muggleborns and what have you and you know non-pure lines and muggles in general so i think she was probably quite a wild it's this odd mix of like restrained and wild which i know it sounds silly but the fact is that i guess that they probably grew up in a very sort of rigid household and that she she sort of towed the lines in certain things in, in her, perhaps her like belief yeah. and how she sort of behaved. But at the same time, then perhaps had these sort of like wild explosions of, you know, of, of power and hate about certain things. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you, you hear about when they were at um, Hogwarts together in that they, she was in this little gang that they all turned into Death Eaters. And there was sort of like a wild, I think it's a sort of dark glamour about them all. And Mm. I think she definitely comes in with perhaps the most reverence. I imagine there was a lot of like reverence for her and her family, you know, turning up to Hogwarts at that time and people seeing, like, you know, she was from that family and therefore she's sort of like the firstborn, the eldest, a scion of that family mm-hmm. and being someone obviously that was quite, I imagine she was quite imperious there. Yeah. And she was quite beautiful and she was quite talented. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, I feel like she is one of those people that's a perfect example of how the Hogwarts school system kind of failed her. Because when you put a child who is so ripe for radicalization in that way, Mm -hmm. and you surround them with other people who won't challenge their point of view in any single way, of course, she's going to turn out the way she is. If the Slytherin house didn't exist the way it did, or there was more like house unity, and you were able to kind of like interact with people, like she would be challenged, I think a bit more. But she was kind Mm -hmm. of limited by the people that she was forced to socialize with. They kind of made, they pigeonholed her into this thing where they were like, well, this is exactly what you're going to be because you weren't challenged in any way. Yeah, completely. And I think that's, that's also a real, I think, sort of an, an inadvertent analysis on actually how like messed up the public school system, obviously we call it over here, but like the sort of boarding schools and paid for private schools and things actually are. Um, and at the time, I think writing the books, it was just like the scene as this sort of semi, like it's a bit of a dream to be like, oh, this wonderful school in Hogwarts and stuff. And I was actually thinking about it the other day, I mean, like, okay, if I got a letter to go to Hogwarts when I was 11, how the hell would I have paid for that? Like, lucky yeah. Harry, that you accidentally had all this money. I'm like, there's no way my family would, we just wouldn't have the money to send me. So where would you go? Like, there isn't, is there another school in the UK for like magic that mm-hmm. kids go to for free? Like, it just yeah. doesn't. 
and, and it, it just perpetuates that you're right it perpetuates the same thing and, and i think we all look upon that sort of hogwarts school as this sort of like wonderful dream and ideal but actually the reality you're right it, mm-hmm. it, it feels it's breeding ground for continuing this you know the, the same types of people and beliefs that they've yeah. had and she is a radicalized young person she was radicalized mm-hmm. from the very beginning in the same way that Snape was radicalized in the same way that all the Death Eaters were. Actually, I would argue in the same way that Harry was radicalized in Dumbledore's point of view. It felt like it was yeah. two competing cults. <laughs> and yeah. one of them, we just kind of agreed with their ideology more so than we do with Voldemort's. But yeah. if if the books were written in the point of view that Voldemort was right, she would be a hero in the same way that Harry's a hero. Completely. And I think, I think a big character I always compare it to is McGonagall. Yeah. When I kind of think about her, because you've got you've got like Dumbledore and Voldemort, who are sort of like the two you know top wizards of the age, let's say, and they're the only ones that are sort of fearful of each other. And both of their deputies are women, um, you know. And you've got and they're and they're so opposite of each other. Like you've got Bellatrix is so like wild and uncompromising and unloving and this sort of crazy, for want of a better word, sort of mentality. Whereas McGonagall is the opposite. She's very like controlled and restrained, uh, but is but is very caring and and you know mm-hmm. you just they're both uh, witches that are incredibly powerful that they've got these incredible reputations and they're sort of they're not they're not all, they're not sort of two sides of the same coin because they are so far removed but they're 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 clearly these two powerful women who have completely opposite types of personalities and ideologies but yet both are you know deputizing and following these men and one of them you know Dumbledore trusts in mm-hmm. McGonagall you know implicitly and explicitly and it's just there and then you know obviously Voldemort does trust Bellatrix to a degree and because he gives her a Horcrux to look after, but um, you know, but at the same time sees her as someone to use rather than as someone to sort of help build up. Um, yeah, but I don't think Dumbledore. I think Dumbledore sees McGonagall in the same way. I think he sees his soldiers in the same way. They they're there to yeah. serve a purpose. I think he yeah. is kind of quite as callous as Dumbledore as Voldemort. Yeah, I yeah I can agree with that. I, I would also say that in he can. I think that at the same time you can see people in a way that are sort of like what can you know the soldier in McGonagall. But but at the same time I, I don't think he's like so unloving and caring that mm. he wouldn't want to help and support her. Whereas yeah. I think yeah, like obviously Voldemort would. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he sees he sees Bellatrix as. You know, even when he like teaches all the dark arts and things, you know, he he basically t- trying to turn into a weapon. Yeah. And then the, and then the ultimate and then the ultimate use, in, again, like in a <laughs> terrible way, is to you know provide an heir, right? Mm-hmm. And it was that's kind of a, the ultimate usage of that. She is just something that I can use to do my bidding and just provide me with what I want in mm-hmm. the fact of like killing people or providing an heir and all that sort of stuff like it's just that she was just an ultimate thing to be used by Voldemort yeah her relationship with Voldemort is really really interesting because like in the book she's described as looking at him like reverentially and in, at one point like a lover is used mm. to kind of express how she feels about him it is like yeah. kind of that obsession but also like we don't know what the relationship was like at different points in the books we know at some point apparently um she gave birth to his child but yeah like it is really interesting he like he saw that in her he saw that she she wanted him in that way and there is like this huge 
like amount of sensuality in that, that you don't see her like do that with anyone else, not even her husband. I think when she married her husband, yeah. it was more about creating a pure blood household. I don't think there was any love there. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. You're completely right. I think that, but I just think she's also, she just, I don't think she is capable of like a real love. Mm. I think that's what really marks her out very differently than her sister, both her sisters, but also perhaps Narcissa, most of all, is that Narcissa was was capable of of love in the end. And she realised that, like, oh, actually, love like, really trumped everything. Whereas, I mean, if you want to retcon that, you know, if mm-hmm. I have a child, fine. But the fact is that she just wasn't capable of, of real love of, of, of anything or of anyone, not even herself. The, the love that she had for Voldemort was not it, it was like this obs- obsession and hero worship in something of like yeah giving yourself over completely to something but it's, it's not love in a way that you would even try and describe it's mm. almost like a sort of like a sort of like sort of like BDSM type thing I yeah guess, because it's like she's like this ultimate submission mm-hmm. of herself in absolutely every way for someone to just to just use and be um and be told and used in a way. Um, I mean, that sounds terrible against people who are obviously in those types of relationships, but it, it, it does have that sort of sadomasochistic thing where she wants to be, she mm-hmm. wants to do that. And then, and then of course, then inflict that out into the world as well. Yeah. It's really interesting to think of her that way as well. Is, is she powerful? Does she, they, there is like this stereotype that men who are in huge, positions of power in the bedroom like to be submissive is Mm -hmm. she seen by the other death eaters as the number one person or is that just in her head i don't and i think like i don't i don't know what sex of sexism is like in the death eater community but i imagine it's quite rife i imagine that she isn't as respected as she would want to be i think they do Mm -hmm. see her as just another soldier snape is Voldemort's right-hand man in a lot of their minds and I think that's why they hate him quite a bit as well yeah it's it is really interesting as well I think like her interactions with Snake because it's a real it is real jealousy and of course everything we have to kind of talk about is the fact you you have to sort of put it through the frame of mind of somebody who has been you know imprisoned for 15 years and effectively like had their mind sort of chiseled away everything so you know who knows what's really how that really affects somebody because it's just it's just going to unhinge you. Mm. Well, we have one instance of Bellatrix before all of that happened, and it was in the Pensieve in Book Four. She's described as a woman with thick, shining dark hair and heavily hooded eyes, who was sitting in the chain chair as those were as though it were a throne. And then yeah. she, and then the Dementors were gliding back into the room. The woman with the heavy-lidded eyes looked up at Crouch and called, The Dark Lord will rise again, Crouch. Throw us into Azkaban, we will wait. He will rise again, he will come for us. He will reward us beyond any of his other supporters. We alone were faithful. We alone tried to find him. I think also it's quite interesting that she sort of, she's painted a little bit as like the stereotypical, hysterical woman. Yeah. And that she... For her to be like his most faithful and like powerful lieutenant, um, lieutenant, however you want to say it. <laughs> um, uh, but at the same time, she has to be a bit unhinged and hysterical. Yeah. And she can't, she can't just, and then you've got Snape who, okay, he's, you know, we know he's being a double agent here, but it's someone who is so controlled and composed. Yeah. Um, and she is seen, I mean, to be fair, again, she obviously was in Alexander for a while, but 
he didn't we didn't really get that with Sirius, especially because he was sort of wrongly in prison. So there's like an added level of sort of injustice and unfairness on top of that. But yeah, she's she does seem like quite in control there. But even then, still, out of all the people that are being sentenced, she's the one. Mm-hmm. yelling the dark lord what can't <laughs> she, and it, she can't just be why does she have to be the one that's yeah. being out of control because mm-hmm. it's just seen as again perhaps a sort of hysterical woman yeah trope. or is it because she is one of the only women that she feels she has to be the loudest to be heard yeah we don't know like what goes on in her head and also like it is interesting comparing her to Sirius because I think they are quite a bit alike and there are a lot of parallels as well where he was in prison for 10 plus years and she was in prison for 10 plus years and it affected them in different ways but also in the, a lot of similar ways she was given a lot more freedom than Sirius maybe the wrong kind of freedom and yeah. he was kind of imprisoned again but they were both quite quick tempered they were both really really obsessive they were both so stuck on the past of like 10 years ago what before they were imprisoned and mm-hmm. I think that comes from them being quite similar in the way they were raised and also because they're related I think yeah I think they do share a lot of qualities as well which makes family traits yeah I guess also because the thing is like they've the the type of prison that they're in you know it's like a super high max security style prison Mm -hmm. their lives are literally frozen yeah so you know you they are obsessing over things and stuff because they've got no other frame of reference Mm -hmm. and we know Um, that Sirius thought he knew he was innocent but I imagine Bellatrix thought she was innocent as well. So yeah. it wouldn't have affected her in the same way if she was quite repentant about her crime. She's not repentant at all. Mm. She thought she was doing the right thing. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, she's, you know, they never, people who, who are like Bellatrix would never think they're doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, don't, I think yeah. the Dementors would have affected them in the same way as well. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is really interesting. I, I think she, outside of Voldemort, like, she definitely, and I don't know if it's from the books or the film, the combination of the two, like she's definitely supposed to be the 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 most evil, the most scary, the most like mm-hmm. fear, fearsome, the one that you're supposed to be really sort of scared of. Uh, and I think in some ways, perhaps even worse than Voldemort, because whilst his you know ethos and ideology is abhorrent, he he's he's seeing he's seeing what he's doing. A is right, and he's trying to like achieve something. And like as you said before, like she may be sharing that, but the thing, but she gets real joy out of, of pain and hurt and yeah. and, and the chaos. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's sort of two different sort of evils that end up producing the same thing. Yeah, but we see more moments of her being quite vulnerable as well in the beginning of book six mm. with Narcissa that is quite a vulnerable moment of her of going like she's really worried about her sister she's worried about her nephew um we also know that she taught Draco occlumency and we know that's not an easy thing because Snape I don't think tried but he tried to teach Harry and that didn't go very well but she was very successful in teaching Draco we see her be quite kind um to creature to get what she wants mm. out of him. So there is also this other side of her that understands that bit of vulnerability can help her, I think, manipulate people. And yeah, I think completely. she's been quite good at using that. It is interesting. Is it a sociopath or a psychopath? The one that just like, doesn't understand, can't understand like emotions and, and things. And I think yeah. she, 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 she isn't that because she does understand, she does understand those emotions. She just doesn't necessarily share them. Um, with certain people Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that's 
I think that whole scene where they make me break a vow is a really, really interesting one um, for lots of the characters because it's outside of just like pushing this plot along of like, what does this mean? What's Draco having to do? It is showing you the dynamics of, of those sisters, of their relationship. It's not like how it all really sort of fits together, how, you know, Bellatrix feels about it and, uh, and like her power and her skill. Um, and it is also interesting what you say about that. She taught occlumency to Draco. Therefore, she must be very skilled at that. Yeah. Incredibly so. Which then makes you think, which means she would probably have to be really skilled legitimate as well mm-hmm. in order to teach it to him. And then you just think, well, how does that then translate into your relationships with other people, even with Voldemort? Because if Snape was able to keep things away and hidden from Voldemort she must have been able to do the same yeah I think the difference there though is that she there is it goes back to like the sensuality she feels with like Voldemort that I don't think she's able Mm. to kind of keep it together where Snape is a lot more controlled in that way but I think it's because she's so like horny for Voldemort that she can't (laughs) like keep it together in that way and we see her like whenever she interacts with Voldemort like her whole body language changes where she leans towards him she's like just just wants to be closer Mm. to him I think he can see right through her and I don't think she wants to hide how she feels with about him to him I think she wants him to know yeah that's true and I guess that that scene when I think it was at the start of Deathly Hallows when yeah. they're at Malfoy Manor and she's like desperate to do things for mm-hmm. him and, and then he sort of mocks her and it's a real sort of like slap back to yeah. her, which is quite, um, which is quite interesting. Um, I think she's like doing some of the sort of reading and sort of research on her. She, it, it is surprising how little she actually appears in the book and how little she actually appears in the film. And, and that's, I guess, partly because it's Helena Bonham Carter, but she feels like a much bigger character, even not necessarily a very complex one than what she is. I think is quite fascinating. Yeah, I think it's because she, I think it's a combination of her being one of the only women being the loudest and also because there is this complex relationship between her and Voldemort that we see whenever we do see her we can also understand her obsession with Voldemort yeah and I think that also adds to her complexity um I found the bit in the beginning of Deathly Hallows where Narcissa sat rigid and impassive Bellatrix leaned towards Voldemort for mere words could not demonstrate her longing for closeness and then towards the end of the book when Harry blasts him. My lord, my lord, it was Bellatrix's voice and she spoke as if to a lover. And it's just like every single time we see her, we just see like this very, I don't want to call her crazy because I don't think she's crazy. I think she's very much in control of everything she's doing. But I think, Mm. like you said, there is this psychopathic tendency where we know that um, psychopaths and um, sociopaths don't feel anxiety in any way. And I think that is evident with her as well, where she doesn't feel anxious before doing something. She doesn't feel remorse. What she feels yeah. for Voldemort is just like love, like you, love in a way that is unhealthy <laughs> in every single way. Yeah. Because at the same time, I mean, he used and abused her yeah. in so many ways. Like, like he doesn't like with everybody. But like her specifically is someone that he knows is so mm-hmm. like devoted and and he, he does and you know, he does abuse her. Yeah. And she's only ever 
he's only ever really thought of or talked about through through him yeah. and connected to him. There's no real other. You don't really see anything else about her outside of this sort of connection to Voldemort or what's to be going on. Absolutely. And again, you know, she needs to be a bit of a a, a device to to sort of push that along. It's not really about her, but it it is really interesting that everything, even the discussions with other, between other people, it's always about her connection to him, and it's yeah. her, she's only really defined through her relationship with him. Yeah, and, and I think it's also terrible. I think it's also because we see the other Voldemort, the other um, Voldemort supporters, other Death eaters at different points kind of question his judgment maybe or like are quite fearful of him where we don't see her do that and I think that's why she's just so ripe to abuse in that way because Mm -hmm. she just know he knows that she will do everything he wants without questioning him without doing anything and that devotion kind of makes her yeah yeah makes her so easy for him to manipulate yeah it's quite terrible really Mm-hmm. You sort of speak about it. I think it's quite easy to sort of look upon her with the sort of, oh, she's a, this evil witch and terrible, awful person. And, you know, that that is true. And she's done terrible, awful things. But at the same time, she is a perfect example, like you were saying, of the radicalization of young people, of, of being then, you know, ripe for being abused and uh, and used in that way mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that she's not shouldn't be held accountable for actions in any way but it, it it's just kind of it's never really sort of that black and white really is it yeah exactly yeah i think these books are just just example after example of radicalized young people doing the bidding of older more in control men and that's why yeah. i keep comparing them to cults because that's exactly what they are yeah and it's never yeah, and even when it gets to like sort of you know Dumbledore's army and Voldemort's army, you know, even though you're trying, in essence, it's trying to be sort of good, trying to be evil. You're right; it always comes down to sort of like following these sort of cult mm-hmm. uh, messianic figures of people who are powerful and stronger and more wiser, mm-hmm. rather than just sort of rather than anything else. It's, yeah. It's, it's, there's very few really sort of other factions and other things it's, it's people being told what to do. What are the standout moments for you with Bellatrix? I love that scene you spoke about where she sat on the throne. Yeah. Oh, sat on the chair, sat down <laughs> like a throne. Uh, I think that's just, I think it's really quite powerful imagery and I can just see it exactly. And I just, and just, the, I think the sort of sheer strength of character in a way of being stuck to this ideology and this sort of, her obsession, even in the time of where most people would be absolutely terrified uh, or, ang- or anxiety-ridden or, you know, anything, all those other emotions, she's still holding herself so proud because she celebrates the strength. She's from the House of Black. Like, she she remains faithful and so right above everybody else and mm. just holding on to that. That's something that's quite vivid and visceral, I think, about, about her. I also, and then just, I mean, obviously, her death. Um, I think it like in the film it's a bit sort of it's a good moment in the film but it just comes just so quickly and it's a bit yeah. sort of like oh I just don't think it was as good in the film as it could and should have been because uh, in the in the book it just seems like more of a moment yeah um, in the film it's really it's interesting because like all the baddies get disintegrated their bodies get disintegrated when they die and I remember yeah. Bellatrix just kind of evaporated but then we see yeah. all the bodies of like the good people and it's just like yeah. I think it would have been way more grounded and way more powerful if you see her slumped yeah. over in death. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. 
because also it's just it just shows that just they're mortal yeah. people you know that just they're dying and it, it would it would make more of a thing that you've just got these people lying side by side because mm-hmm. it's quite easy to just be like okay they're dead and they're gone and you never have to think about them again yeah and so like why why were the how did like harry and molly and perhaps some members of the order of the phoenix what spells were they casting that they were disintegrating their enemies <laughs> and that that the death eaters were just knocking them over dead like, what 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 were you doing yeah i think one of my favorite Bellatrix moments is after Sirius dies and Harry goes after her and tries to crucio her. She actually teaches him a lesson. She's actually like, she says to him, like, never used an unforgivable curse before, have you, boy? You need to mean them, Potter. You need to really want to cause pain, to enjoy it. Righteous anger won't hurt me for long. I'll show you how it is done, shall I? I'll give you a lesson. That's like, like, that's one of the moments where it's like she can't help herself. She can't help but brag. She yeah. can't, but also Harry understands the curses more than he mm. did before that. He knew the words, but he didn't know how to do them until Bellatrix. And I think, is it the same, is it the same moment where she talks about how Voldemort taught her like more about the dark arts than, yep. than he would ever know? I think it's, yeah, again, it's like trying to, it's a sort of like brag, again, brag about things. But I think quite a good insight into, mm-hmm. I mean, did he teach that to other people? I, I don't know, but because you don't, you never know. It's just obviously through her lens and she's thinking, she's thinking that I've been exalted above all others that he's taught me things. But I would kind of believe that might be true because because she is someone who's clearly very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that in her sort of dueling with other, you know, the fact is that she was able to, she was able to kill Sirius. I know that, I know in the film, I think in the film she actually said about a cadaver and in the book she doesn't. I think no, it's like, she doesn't. She, she, uh, but it's, she's able to defeat him. She's able to like, whip, like beat Tonks. She's able to beat King of the Shacklebot. You know, she was dueling a few people at once. She's obviously someone who's incredibly, powerful mm-hmm. and also very wild with that power mm-hmm. and so i can totally see how he would perhaps lift her up and above other people because it's you don't send your pawns into battle do you yeah. battle, you don't send your queens into battle first you send your pawns and i think she was someone that he could see has a lot of value for him mm-hmm. and that he could make her more powerful than others it actually makes me sadder for a serious as well because of because he was also really really talented and there are a lot of like mirrors and parallels with them and if Sirius was nurtured in the same way that Bellatrix was by Vol- by mm. Dumbledore, I think he could have been as powerful, as talented as she is. Because we know he had natural talent, but mm. Voldemort didn't really take the time to teach him. And also, like, we see the parallels as well in their deaths, where he died with a laugh in his face. And it's the same with her. And the book even says that it, mer- it parallels Sirius's death. The other thing that kind of really sticks out, but this is obviously just mainly down to, I think, Helena Bonham Carter, is the sort of, I killed Sirius. <laughs> I don't know, there's something about it that's just, it's not well, funny, but it is funny. There's something about it that's really, even to this day, mm-hmm. and sometimes it just it just crops in my head. And yeah. It's, it's just <laughs> odd, dark, funny to it. And I don't know if it's in the book or not, but. Well, in the book, she uses a, like a baby voice and she goes, oh, did you care about him, Harry? Like she does that mm. for a while. She taunts him. Yeah, she definitely yeah. does. But I just saw the bit where she skips off in the film and he's going after and she's just like, and she, yeah, <laughs> it's just like about it. It's just like it's like really like dark and funny. But um, mm-hmm. Bellatrix laughed the same exhilarated laugh her cousin Sirius had given as he toppled backwards through the veil, and suddenly Harry knew she was going what was going to happen before it did. 
Molly's curse soared beneath Bellatrix's outstretched arms and her squarely in the chest directly over her heart. Bellatrix's gloating smile froze. Her eyes seemed to bulge. For the tiniest space of time, she knew what had happened, and then she toppled, and Voldemort screamed. I think it's just, it, just, it was just so, it wasn't done right in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of things weren't done right to the film. That's we why know. I've seen all the yeah. films once and never again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think it's just, it was such a moment. And I think they even say, like, the ground was, like, cracking, like, energy underneath their feet and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but in the film, it was just, like, a couple of spells done. And it was like, really? Like, I, I, I know the whole point is that, you know, again, here's a mother protecting her own. But it's just so quick. It was like, really? Were you really saying that, like, Molly Weasley was, like, way more powerful than all these other people put together? And it's just that suddenly she was able to, like lift a car off her off her child <laughs> type moment. It was just, it felt like just too quick. Um so yeah. I think it's also really interesting that Voldemort screamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like anybody else. No, I think because she was his right hand man and he knew she was his most mm. powerful soldier and he also knew if he went down she would keep fighting. Mm-hmm. We saw that happen in the fourth um book because she tortured the long bottoms I think after Voldemort had fallen. Not yeah. before. And I wonder if, I, I wonder if, like, looking back now, if that had something also to do with his his heir as well, mm. um, in the fact that, you know, if he knows if she's gone, and yeah, and all of those things and feelings, not that he had any love, but the fact that, that if she'd gone, if he's gone, you're right, he, she could at least then, you know, Keep going. take their child and, yeah. What do you love about Bellatrix? It's when, you, when you asked about, like, which character, like, immediately... Like went to her, and I think it's because there's this there's this thing I think a lot for like queer people and LGBT people that you can't you sort of really root for these oddly glamorous baddies mm-hmm. that there's just something about them like we all love Ursula we all love Cruella Deville we all love Maleficent you know the old yeah. you know there's something about them that even though you know they're bad that you just kind of think they're sort of oddly cool in a way well, because they're so cartoonish and terrible yeah well actually there is like this huge theory of like disney villains being queer coded so yeah. a lot of them are quite feminized and that's why a lot of lgbtq um people really understand them really like them really root for them people like hades yeah. people like ursula who's based on a drag queen people yeah. like um jafar is quite queer coded as well and I think I don't necessarily think she I don't necessarily think she is clear coded, but I would happily hear thoughts on otherwise. But I think there's just something about her that is like you, you know you, you don't want to look into the sun in an eclipse, and you don't want to look at like mm-hmm. terrible things sometimes. But there's just something you just can't help be drawn to like dark corners of society and people. And there's something about her that I think that is more alluring and interesting. Than, than Voldemort because he's just like you know a straight up bad guy or whatever but there's something about her that is just really intriguing and fascinating mm-hmm. that's why people you know I think in the same way why people get um like watching like documentaries and docuseries on murderers and serial killers and things like that and like, real life crime I think is really fascinating to people because there's just yeah. something in human nature about that and I think she embodies a lot of it I think she does just embody quite a lot of this sort of the dark glamour and and she's just this sort of this character that's quite intriguing and indelible in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, a great I think Halloween costume. 
<laughs> I think that's the right word actually is indelible or like she's unapologetic about everything about herself. And even when she shows yeah. those vulnerable moments with Voldemort, it's in a way that she's like, I don't care who sees me. I don't care who yeah. sees me show all this affection to this man creature <laughs> because, mm-hmm. because I am who I am sort of thing. And I think that's what makes yeah. her so attractive as well. Yes, exactly. It's like this really like, odd out and proud mm-hmm. thing again. yeah like exactly it's yeah yeah, yeah. It's, um yeah kind of kind of bonkers and so I think I that it's hard to say like there's like a facet of her that you like apart from the fact that she's clearly incredibly powerful um and that she's I guess the thing to sort of I don't want to say admired but that's kind of like fascinating about it is that she you know as a woman to go and be powerful and rise up and be above, over and above all others and Not easy to be you know and to be feared and to be you know uh, known and powerful and, and all of that and hold true to herself as terrible as that truth is mm-hmm. um it's not easy for anyone and it's doubly not easy for, for a woman to have to do. And so that that's also I think something if it was if it was in a in a in a package that was perhaps a bit more true and honest and uh, mm-hmm. uh good, it would be it would be something I think you're right, we would be lording over him, right? Yeah. And also she is quite charismatic because every single moment in the book she pops out and even though she's mentioned in the book a handful of times really, she like yeah. she sticks in your head. That's charisma. Yeah. 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 She definitely, mm-hmm. she, she definitely does. And I think, especially in the films, like, I mean, Helena Bonham Carter is, is an amazing actress and, very, and has a lot of charisma herself, but it, 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 it bursts out the page and it bursts out the film for mm-hmm. sure. She has charisma, uniqueness, nerve and talent. She, yeah, she really does. And she was also one of those, what that spells. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think also last time we were on, we talked about um, how the Black Sisters were, kind of sort of semi-inspired by the Mitford sisters yeah and Bellatrix is uh the one called I think she was called Unity who went went and lived with Hitler mm. and actually was like upset it was basically the same thing and there was rumors that she'd had a child by him and stuff and she used to sleep with him and she um she was she was obsessed with fascism and 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 she was an anti-Semite, and she was doing that. It was it, it, it. She was Bellatrix, and it's almost like a case of I think it's called nominative, nominative determinism, when a name you know when your name determines what yeah what you end up becoming. And mm. if you're going to be called Unit, you're going to be called Unity, <laughs> and your sisters are called like Diana and Jessica. Like if you're going to be called Unity, it I kind of almost feels like you're going to become a white supremacist. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with Bellatrix. You know, if you're going to be called Bellatrix, you're probably going to end up being some sort of soldier, right? Yeah. Like it's that the name literally Bellum. says that. So, yeah. So again, it's you just it's there, and there was something at the time as well about the myth that everyone found really like you know glamorous and mm. interesting, especially because they were all. I mean, there were six of them, but there was they were all just so like wildly different. And, yeah. Yeah. We didn't really talk about her relationship with Andromeda. I imagine it would be very similar to how those sisters treated the one who um, left. The amount of hatred I think that Bellatrix has for Andromeda says a lot yeah. about her. Yeah, for sure. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because the fact is that she she could be so obsessed with the, the pure blood ideology and so proud of her own heritage and so wanting to adhere to this sort of like sticking together in this 
in in this political ideology, and yet so willing to just cut somebody out and want yeah. to kill. Them. And it's not like it's not like she didn't. She just hated them and was like, I can't be there. Like she just wanted. She wanted to like eviscerate them and yeah. annihilate her and her child and anything to do with them. Like mm-hmm. it's it's like that trumps everything. And that's, yeah. And that's I think that's a big difference between Narcissa and Bellatrix is that for Narcissa, the family trumps everything that she believes in, whereas Bellatrix, it's her ideology and devotion to Voldemort that trumps everything yeah. in the family. Absolutely, yeah. What do you hate about Bellatrix? Um, well, the fact that her <laughs> ideology <laughs> you know, trumps everything in the family. She's a character that is supposed, that is made to be hated. You know, there's, there's nothing redeeming about her. Um, you know, the fact that she is just such, an, like, such a bigot, so evil so cruel, um, uh, so unfeeling, and I think just cru- like just cruel, just cruel. Mm-hmm. Just really shows you that there is there is nothing about her that makes you um, even like like her in any particular way. She just yeah. is a cruel, callous person who has disgusting or abhorrent views, and mm-hmm. and there was there's no way back for her. You know, there was no way it was gonna it was going to end the way it was going to end. Yeah. You know, there was no way that she could be de-radicalized or, or give up in any particular way. You know, there was no way that she could try and change or redeem herself like Narcissa potentially, if you want to argue, did and could do. There was there was no way back for her. She's just and, an she's just iconic. Like she's just an yeah. iconic character in these books. She's one of those characters that just yeah sticks in your head. She's always one of the fir- few. She's one of the first ones you think about yeah. and. Like, I always think back to, like, there's this um, donut shop chain in London that has a donut named after her. The Bella Twix Lestrange with, like, a Twix in the middle. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, all these things are just, she's just one of those standout characters in the Harry Potter universe. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, completely, she's completely iconic. Because of everything. Just because of everything she's done, mm-hmm. the way that she looks, the way she acts. Like, it's something that will... You know that someone can dress up like her, yeah, <laughs> or say things that she did, and you immediately know who that is. And yeah, she definitely is iconic. And I think the interesting thing I just thought of is that when you think of a Death Eater, in my mind, from the film, I don't know if it's from the film or from the book, you've got all these people like in masks and these cloaks, the sort of like yeah. almost Ku Klux Klan-y mm-hmm. type things in black. Yet she's the only one would be who would not wear that, who would yeah. proudly show her face. And so when you think of a a death eater like she was she was she's yeah. someone whose face immediately you go to the name the face everything about her whereas others you know you might say the name but like, oh yeah they were a death eater but you wouldn't even know what they look like or yeah. you wouldn't even nothing would stick into your mind about them because she's the only one that would be willing to actually proudly like yeah show, she's show not hiding she is no no okay well if she was standing right in front of you is there anything you would want to ask her? Is there anything you would want to say to her? So hard because I think she kind of also represents, I guess, a, a lot what we're kind of like seeing in the world at the moment. And that obviously we've seen throughout the world for a long time. But when you have people with such extreme bigoted views, there's there's so much you want to ask them and yell at them and find out like, why are you, why why do you hate me? What What is it? Like, yeah. why can't you see that? I'm a person and they're a person. And sometimes it's like there are people that perhaps maybe like Narcissa, for instance, or other people in the books that you might be able to actually converse with. But when there's someone like like Bellatrix, how can you even yeah. how can you even do that? Because there's no way that they're ever going to ever see you as a person or anything beyond uh, something to be 
hated. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah, it's, I think there would be so many things I would want to talk to so many other characters about. Uh, but I just, I, 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 I wouldn't even know where to begin or it would be, I think it would just be a, a futile exercise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you're going to get nothing out of it. You would just, you're never going to win in that discussion or argument. Yeah. You're never going to get anything out of it and perhaps some catharsis uh, just to get your own feelings out. But at the same time, it would just provide an opportunity for them to just spew more hate and bile. Mm-hmm. Um I think you would just you would just want to weave. I don't know. It's just it's, yeah. It's just all. It's just it's just. There's what can you do? Yeah, you know? I would want to ask her more about like her childhood and developmental years. Like, did she torture animals when she was younger? Like, those are the kind of things mm-hmm. I would want to like question her about to see if she fits into the mold of other people who are like the yeah. same vein. But like, what shampoo do you use? Because you're not doing anything to your hair. <laughs> I think she has more bigger things, bigger fish to fry than washing her hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because if she had like a really nice blowout, I think yeah. people would actually like, you know, the second that you get like <laughs> women who like, who say and are evil things, but you know, you get all those news people on Fox News or working yeah. jobs and stuff that if they suddenly look really glamorous and everyone's like, oh, you take them a whole lot more seriously. Yeah. Um, Fix your but, teeth, uh, Bellatrix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you to my guest, Nathan, who, as always, is incredible. If you would like the next episode to be dedicated to you, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. You can contact me on all social media platforms under Potter Study Pod or send me an email at potterstudypod at gmail.com. I love you. Bye.